How are you all today? Is everybody good? A few of you are good. Some of you are not so much. You're not sure. Uh, well, we're glad that you're here. You'll notice we've got a lot going on in different parts of the building with uh, VBS. We're just so thankful for everybody that pitched in and uh, did all the work yesterday and all the work leading up to this. And Christy and Kevin, of course, have taken the brunt of that work. And so be sure and thank everybody that's out there. I think we've got probably more people out there than we've got in here. So uh, be sure and thank them. We hope that if you brought kids, that they'll come back tonight. It will be tonight through Wednesday night, 6 to 8.30. And uh, it's a great time just for them to form relationships and uh, learn what it means to know God and also just have a good time together. They've got a lot of, of fun things planned. So we hope that they can be a part of every night this week. And we're just so thankful that they get a chance to do this um, this morning. We're starting a new series today, and, and today's going to be a bit of a challenging one because I am committing today to try to convince you that something we universally believe not only is not true, but when it has been said that God said this is true, it absolutely isn't. And the whole premise of what we're going to be doing over these next weeks is the idea that things are attributed to God, things that he apparently said or believes that aren't true, but we have believed them wholeheartedly. Uh, I don't know about you, but it is a frustrating thing for me when someone says something or says that I said something that I didn't. Does anyone else ever have that happen to you? And you know when that happens, it's never something good, is it? It's never like you had something really brilliant to say. You know, Mark said that. No, that was Gandhi. You know, it never, it never happens that way. It's always, I said something stupid, right? And then it gets repeated and then it keeps going. And it's like the mouse that dies in the wall and its smell permeates every crack and orifice and it doesn't go away for it feels like years. When someone says you've said something that you didn't. Well, what we want to look at today is what happens when God is accused of saying something that he didn't, and we are guilty of perpetuating those exact same things. What is our topic for today? What, are we, what am I going to try to convince you of today? It's a good one. It's a fun one. That God never said that he wants you to be happy. Now, some of you are already regretting getting up this morning. And you're already regretting getting in the car and coming here because you're thinking, okay, here we go. Mark's been on vacation. He's read a few, uh, you know, fundamentalist books and he's getting ready to tell us how bad we are and God wants us to feel bad. And the truth is there are some religious traditions that value feeling bad about yourself and bad about others. There are some traditions that go so far that in order to please God, you have to intentionally sabotage your life. By showing some level of repentance by being miserable. Now, if you're afraid that's the direction we're going, it's not. However, still, we cannot find anywhere in Scripture that it says God wants us to be happy. Now, I'll give you a hint just so you'll stay tuned in. God actually wants something more than that. Something better than that. But a lot of us have come up in a tradition and in a culture that doesn't look beyond what does it mean to be happy? What does it take to be happy? And just like the narrator in the video, there are so many people, maybe us in this room, that are searching for it and it seems elusive and it's just not there. And we have a moment of it and we want more. 
And then it's gone. We can't seem to get it back. The truth is what we do in our lives, whether it be in our relationships with each other, in our relationship with God, what we end up doing is we begin putting words in other people's mouths. We begin making assumptions, having opinions, thinking things that may or may not be true. But yet God is attributed to these things. 1 Corinthians one twenty five warns us about this. It says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than that. So as we go over these next few weeks, our goal is to challenge some assumptions, but also point to what God really has said. The question of the day, does God really want you to be happy? Does God really want you to experience that? Are you destined as a follower of Jesus that you're going to be happy? If you're a good Christian, does that mean that you're happier than someone who's not a good Christian? If you're more faithful, does that mean God's going to bless you with happiness? And if you're not a good Christian, God's going to take your happiness away? See, those are all conversations that go on in our minds if we're trying to follow God and our circumstances aren't going well. We even have within our own founding documents as a nation that we are owed this opportunity to be happy. This thing that is so elusive that so many can't find as depression is on the rise, as people are giving up, as frustration is happening all over our nation. In the writing of the Declaration of Independence, it says we hold these truths to be self-evident, obvious. That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These are our founding fathers. This is where we get this idea from. Because much of our history is wrapped around faith and religion. It has easily been attributed to God himself if you don't delve to go deeper. To study more, to, to understand what is being said. But the truth I want you to leave with today is that God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants much more for you. He wants much more than what was being said on the video. He wants much more than that thing that I will try anything to fill this and not have it. It doesn't matter how long you've been a a Christian. It doesn't matter how strong you are in your faith. You and I, we all are on our own pursuit of happiness. Now, it doesn't look the same for all of us, does it? As I look back over my life, there are periods of my life that in pursuing happiness looked one way. And as I got older, pursuing happiness looked another way. I remember when we were young and in school and... Deidre and I were purchasing our first new car. I don't mean the first car we ever had, but the first new car. I don't, if you've not had the experience of purchasing your first new car, you're going to be okay. It's not that great a deal. But we, as, yeah, that's all, for a lot of people, their first new car is their last new car. That's the truth. And so we bought a, a, an SUV. SUVs were all the rage. We were committed that we were going to be cool our entire lives. You would never see us drive a minivan Things change. And we bought an Isuzu Rodeo. Now, it's not, you know, a Mercedes or a Lexus or they didn't have any of those. I don't think. Yeah, I guess they did whenever we bought this car. It's been a while. But we bought an Isuzu Rodeo. You remember the Isuzu Rodeo? 
It's a, it's a real travesty that that vehicle is not still around today because that was a great car. Anyways, uh, marketing aside, we bought our first one. And like many people, I, you know, many guys at least, I had high hopes that this car was going to elevate me to new statuses of hope and joy and happiness in my life. Because it had the new car smell, which is really all you need. Doesn't matter what the car does. As long as it got the smell, you're good to go. And it was cool. It was up high and it had big wheels and, and that really hadn't come in yet. And, and so I was kind of this urban redneck. I don't know what I was, but it was cool. But we couldn't quite afford the one we wanted. And so we had to settle a little bit. We had to settle all the way to the only model that comes off the line without a single option added to it. The engine was really all it came with. So we had to roll up windows, had to, you know, pluck every door. It did have air conditioning, thank goodness. But we had to get the four-cylinder. If you've ever owned a four-cylinder SUV, not a lot of joy in driving a four-cylinder SUV. And we couldn't afford the automatic. That was like a $1,000 upgrade. We couldn't do it. So we couldn't get the automatic. So we had a four-cylinder, five-speed SUV, non-four-wheel drive. It is the most worthless SUV that has ever been made on the face of the planet, but it had the new car smell, right? And so we pulled out of the dealer. Deidre drove our car. She let me drive the the uh, the new SUV off the lot. I mean, it was the perfect experience. Everything was great. I had gone in. I mean, guys, you think you know how to make a deal? I was the ultimate deal maker that day. It was the kind of situation where I literally said, this is my bottom line. They said, no. I walked out the door to go to my car and they come chase me down to bring me back. I mean, I was the real man until I tried to accelerate. And so here we have committed to a 60-month payment plan on a brand new car. And I just so happen to have bought the car on a strip full of red lights in my five-speed four-cylinder SUV. And almost immediately, I had buyer's remorse. You ever done that? Just me, right? Nope, not me. I've done it. Nope, nope. (laughs) Some of you are getting elbows in the side. And I remember almost immediately I had buyer's remorse. Now, I'm a studier. I don't buy anything of any value unless I know everything I can know about it. And so I had studied everything about it. I had rationalized the zero to 60 times. I knew the power wasn't there, but I had figured out it's only about, you know, 350 less horsepower. You know, I would be okay. But when I left this thing that for couple of months I had put all my hopes and dreams of this exciting wonderful thing it was in no time at all and I wish I hadn't done it see the pursuit of happiness for us it may not be over over a car pursuit of happiness for each one of us is different the pursuit of happiness can be the pursuit of relationships friends people that like you that can be a pursuit that if I can just get enough people that like me I'll be happy It can be pursuit of opportunity or a pursuit of a better job or a promotion, more responsibility that to be able to say, hey, listen, look where I am now. I, you know, I've been working with these guys for years. Now I'm up here and now I feel better. I feel happy now. 
Or maybe it is a raise or it's a new paycheck or it's a a new house or a new car or something like that. And and we put all our hopes and dreams that there's something in us that's going to be happy now. And the problem is, is if we were to go around the room and I was to say, what does it look like to be happy? As many people are in the room, that's as many opinions we would have as to what it looks like to be happy. It's no wonder that we live in a culture that so few people are ever happy. And so when we believe the idea that God at his core wants us to be happy, it creates real problems for us, not only theologically, but emotionally. God, I'm not happy. Why am I not happy? Do you not want me to be happy? Am I, have I done something wrong so you, you don't think I should be happy? God, what is going on here? And so some of the things that we believe and we just take in and we think are true, sometimes they're not as true as we hoped they would. If we can't agree on the thing that makes us happy, how can we possibly know how to pursue it? I uh, read an article, a friend of mine had, had, had sent my way. The Mayo Clinic did a study on happiness because, you know, that's the way you figure it out. You do a medical study on it. And they came up with four things that lead to happiness. I thought I'd share these with you. They're actually pretty interesting, and, and a lot of them are probably very true. So these are the, the four things that Mayo Clinic has said about happiness. The first one is that leads to happiness, the number one thing, they said the most important is to be focused on the right things and the right thoughts. To be focused on the right things and the right thoughts. We saw Tomorrowland on our vacation this week. I don't know, if has, you all, has anybody seen that? Uh, it was a really a pretty good movie. Um, one of the stories in the movie we were talking about as we left, we just thought, what a great illustration. It was the story of the two wolves. You all remember that story? The story of the two wolves. Some of you have heard it from other places. They didn't come up with it. Um, it's actually an old story. But uh, it's a story of two wolves. And they asked the story uh, when they were at a difficult time in their lives. And uh, a dad had told his kids the story over and over and over. So when the dad was being laid off, his daughter repeated the story back. He said, do do you remember the story of the two wolves? One wolf is hope and light. One wolf is darkness and despair. Which one do you feed? It's a great story. So true. Where do we put our thoughts? Where do we focus our attention? So, number one, they said, be focused on the right things, the right thoughts. The second thing they said was people who are happy are resilient to life's curveballs. In other words, things are happening. You're able to take it. You're able to absorb it. You're able to deal with it. And you're also able to create healthy boundaries whenever these curveballs come that they don't throw you for a loop. They're just kind of stable. They're able to keep going. The third thing they said was that the biggest hindrance to happiness was thinking too much about yourself. Think about that. Take a bunch of doctors to figure that out. Thinking too much about yourself. Yet in every resort we've gone to, whether it be at the beach, whether it be at, we went to Universal Studios a while back. You know what the big selling tourist uh, souvenir is? A selfie stick. They're selling selfie sticks, except for Disney World. Disney World's outlawed them. Because they can kill you, literally on a ride. But everywhere else, you can buy these selfie sticks. 
And yet they have found the biggest hindrance to happiness is when we're focused on ourselves. Consequently, the second thing they found is complainers are never happy. I don't know how much money was spent on this uh, study, but it wasn't enough. I'll tell you that. The fourth finding that they had was this, that happiness is a decision. These guys aren't Christians. Happiness is a decision. Now, I will tell you, I agree with just about everything they've said in this study. They just miss it a little bit. But they're so close, which is how the world often works. God shows just a little bit, just enough. And people twist it and they take God out of it and then you get something else. They're so close. So why does this pursuit of happiness, why does it fail every single time? Now, I don't want to, by saying that, make the assumption that no one in this room is happy. Because that's simply not true. Some of you are very happy this morning. You're feeling great about the world. Everything is good. And you are happy. And that is fantastic. But yet, when we make that the driving pursuit of our lives, it will fail every time. Why is that? Two reasons. One... We believe that if it makes us happy, it must be good. If it makes me feel good and it makes me happy, it it, it must be good. It must be what God wants if it makes me happy. The problem is there are a lot of things that make me happy that are not good for me. Anybody else? Yeah. So Leslie and I. Everybody else, you're good. Y'all just have to sit through the rest of the sermon. There are a lot of things I really enjoy that are not good for me. One of those are potato chips and dip. Now, some of you want me to say, you know, I I smoke a a joint every other day. You know, that's what you're hoping I'm going to say. And I'm not. But potato chips and dip are not good for you. There's actually nothing healthy in potato chips and dip. Craft dip, French onion, if you're asking. But I love it. My family knows that it takes a small bag for me to go through a giant tub of dip because all you need is a little chip with a lot of dip. That's all you need because it's really good stuff. It's also really bad for you. It goes in places that you wish it wouldn't, but I love it. There are many things that we want and make us feel good and make us feel happy that we know aren't good for us. We could go through a whole list of those things. What are the things for you that make you feel good? They aren't good. There's a lot of those drives that are within us. When we look through some of the news stories, we're, we've been watching what's going on with Bruce Jenner. I, you know what's crazy? I looked up this morning, I, I Googled, how old is Bruce Jenner? Because nobody wants to see you know a 65-year-old grandmother um, or grandfather in lingerie on a magazine cover. So I want to say, how old is Bruce Jenner? Already in the Google search, in the first one that shows up, it will not say Bruce Jenner. It's Caitlyn Jenner. And it's big stuff. And people are getting skewered over it. And people are, some people are being horrible over it. Some Christians, the things they're saying about and to Bruce Jenner are just horrible. But overall, he's seeing this massive praise that he's stepping out and being the person that he was born to be. And yet it's taken extreme surgery to get him there. And it follows this idea. 
And this is the overall defense of Bruce Jenner, what he's doing by our culture. If it makes him happy, then it's a good thing. Never mind that he's falling apart. He's a broken man. No, he's no more broken than you or I are, but he's, he's broken. He's going through massive, crazy surgery that it, he cannot come back from. And the world says, but it makes him happy despite all the evidence that anyone that goes down this path almost always then tragically. But it makes him happy, so it must be good. Let me just say, to wrap up my Bruce Jenner stuff, now, one of the things we have to be careful when these things happen is how we respond to them. Now, Bruce Jenner is just as broken as I am, just as deserving as love of love as I am, just as deserving of judgment as I am. The way we respond is very important. We don't respond and say, well, you know what? If he's happy, that's great. Go ahead and, and do all these things to yourself. But we do need to give him and show him respect and love. But also sorrow over what he's going through. To not be content with who he wants to be. He's on a path choosing happiness. And he's doing some wild, crazy things to do it. And this pursuit of happiness, when we begin to make it about stuff that feels good for us, truly it is a black hole that will suck everything you throw into it, always telling you you need more. When all the lights are gone, when his reality show is over, it's just going to be Bruce. Not Bruce Cunningham. Not to be confused with Bruce Cunningham. And then what? Will he be the whole person that he's seeking to be? Because that's what he's looking for. He's looking to feel whole. He's looking to feel at peace. He's looking to feel like things make sense again. But he's choosing a way that will never work. Same thing will happen if you choose chips and dip. If you choose alcohol. If you choose gambling and you give everything away and the hope of winning and you want a five, but it took you $300 to do it. All these things that we go after that we think this will be it. Whenever the pursuit of happiness is our main goal, it's a black hole that sucks all our attempts in. It just makes you even hungrier for more. But that's one reason. One reason it fails. Because we believe if if it makes us happy, it's got to be good. It makes us unhappy, it must be bad. The second one is if something doesn't make me feel good, it must not be what God wants. Because God wants me to feel good. And the problem with this mindset is it creates a whole list of of dis- discussions in your head and things that go on in your mind that are completely contrary to everything God says. And and that is that one, God will never allow you to hurt. And yet we see people that Jesus loved dearly that hurt greatly throughout scripture. We see what happened with the apostles who Jesus loved dearly. And if anybody got it, they got it. And yet were they happy as they were nailed to crosses? As they were beheaded, as they were imprisoned? Does that mean that God turned his back and he no longer loved them anymore? 
Or is there something better? Is there something deeper? Is there something more valuable, more profound? Something that God says, this is a waste of time to pursue happiness. But if you pursue something else, then it will not only replace that pursuit, it will blow it out of the water. It doesn't make me feel good. It must not be what God wants. Leads to the kind of thinking that our churches have embraced. It doesn't feel good. God doesn't want it. If I've got to give of myself, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to do that. If worship doesn't, isn't the kind of stuff that I like, then I'm not going to feel it. If I have to give sacrificially in tithes and offerings, oh, let's just not focus on that because that doesn't feel good. God can't want that. We can't have all the stuff our way. Then I'm out. I'm going to go find something else. It's crazy when I get together with other pastors. You can watch migrations from church to church. It's, it's, it's really kind of crazy. Now, we, we don't really see that here because, you know, I don't know. You guys just, I don't know why you guys stick out here, stay here with us because we're a little bit nuts. But, um, but we see these migrations happening. These churches that just, and then something happens and whoop, there they go. Another church. And then whoop, it blows up. And then whoop, there they go. And they're looking for the next thing. Just constantly looking for the next thing. Now we can do that here. I can do that as a pastor. I can read books and I'm totally guilty of this. Reading books, looking to see what other people are doing. Maybe if we do that, things will look like this. And we can, whenever we believe that if something doesn't make me feel good, it must not be what God wants. But what if it doesn't make you feel good and it is exactly what God wants. Thinking of as I walk through, I, I honestly don't know who cut out all these arrows and cut these plates into these flowers. I, I'm assuming it was Christy and some others that came to help. I, I don't know, but I will tell you one thing that does not make me happy is cutting out arrows and flowers and plates. That does not make me happy. Not only does it not make me happy, if I am having to do that, you may not want to be around me at the time. I, I can't stand that kind of stuff. It drives me nuts. I'll cut one out and it'll be artistic. I mean, it won't be straight, so it'll be artistic. And, uh, but if I have to cut 50 of them out, I, I'm, about to, I'm about to lose my mind. It does not make me happy. Yeah, I saw a lot of kids walk in this morning with big eyes and big smiles and wow, and everything's turned for them. So it didn't make me happy, but it maybe it made somebody else happy. Maybe God wants us to do things that don't feel good, that are good. But it also leads to, which is incredibly dangerous for your faith, the idea that if I'm not happy, it's because God has failed me. I don't have what I want. I don't feel good. I don't, God owes me happiness and he's not giving it to me. God has failed me. And we're also seeing a migration away from the church at all in the belief that God doesn't care anymore. Because if God loved me and God really was involved in my life, God would give me what makes me feel good. But right now, I don't feel good. So God must have failed me. I want to ask you this question, and I want you to think about it, not just today, but this next week as you kind of process some of this. What if the enemy 
that's at work in the world is tarnishing our idea of what happiness is? What if his avenue is not to take the gospel and eradicate it? What if it's just shifting our attention to something that devours us instead of fills us? What if the enemy has done this in the world? And this is the way he's working in this generation is to give us this pursuit of happiness that fails. Here are, here are some thoughts, process. What if God doesn't want you to be happy? If that thing that's making you happy is unhealthy, unwise, or just out wrong in his eyes? What if I have to come to grips with something that I fully embraced and brought into my life? I love to watch TV. But what if we watch TV all the time and we never communicate in our family anymore? What if I love shows that are inappropriate and I bring them into the family? What if I enjoy just sitting back and playing games all the time and we never do anything else but play games? I feel good. But was it wise? Was it right in God's eyes? God doesn't want you to be happy if it's something that's unhealthy and wise or wrong. That's just sin. We see that in our marriages. You're not making me happy anymore. I'm out. You're not providing for my needs. I'm going to find somebody else to help provide for my needs. We see it with parents. My kids are driving me nuts. I'm not happy. This is not what I wanted my life to be. So you're on your own. I'm out of here. We see this all the time. God also doesn't want you to be happy if it's only based in what the world has to offer you instead of what he created you for. Because many of our pursuits of happiness and many of the pursuits of happiness that the world embraces and celebrates right now have nothing to do with God. And they're failing. And I don't have to convince you that they're failing because people can feel it. And they're looking for something better. They're looking for something more. Something that they can can grab onto as i think about my family and myself one of the things we struggle with the things that we have a tendency to kind of put our attention on are hobbies have i'm real bad about going through a hard day anybody else real hard about going through a hard day i want to just sit down i just want to flip the tv on and i just want to veg i don't want anybody to ask me anything anybody to, to need anything from me i just want to sit there and just pretend like the world doesn't exist for a few minutes we have a constant struggle with our phones all five of us in our family or four of us john didn't have one all four of us in our family that we have to intentionally say okay this is fun but this isn't good for others it's other things for dads a lot of times it's hobbies i've been working all week I'm taking the weekend to go with my buddies to do X, Y, or Z. You stay home with the kids. Or vice versa. Sometimes the things we sink our things into are clothes or our status, the way we look, or more power or influence. There's lots of ways that we try to sink our happiness into unhealthy things. Romans 1.22, it says this. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Talking about us. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 
Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts, the impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because, verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worse than serve the creature rather than the creator. This is the problem with our pursuit of happiness in the world as we have placed all our hopes in something that can't support it. We've placed it in the creature, in the creation, in the things around us, in the things that we can purchase. First John 2.15 says, don't love the world or the things in the world. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, I love some of the things in the world. This morning we had the opportunity. I woke up, uh, we're homeless. Uh, we sold our house last week. We don't get to move, we get to move in today. Um, sometime between VBS, we're going to hopefully go move stuff in today. So our friends, Bruce and Kathleen, let us stay there. And as I walked out this morning, the sun was coming up and I got to walk out. Uh, if you've never been to their house, they have an incredible view of the valley. It's, an, it's unbelievable. I just got to stand there. I, I was just going to my car. It caught my attention. So I walked out to, to see the sun coming up over the valley. It was, it was unbelievable. I love some of the things of this world. We were at the beach last week. I love you people, but I love the beach too, you know? We had some good seafood. I love seafood. I do. Tomorrowland was fun, and I love to go to a theater with lots of special effects. I love that stuff. Sometimes when we read this, don't love the world or the things in the world. And we become so crazy dogmatic about this. Like, what do you mean? You, you mean you just don't, you don't just love God? You should just love God. You shouldn't love anything else. That's crazy. But when it becomes a priority of our lives, it, it changes. If anyone loves the world, and when it talks about loving the world, it means making this the utmost thing that you desire. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the prides of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. It's talking about a difference between focusing on the things the world has to offer and the things that God has to offer. When we pursue the wrong things, they leave us wanting more. We pursue the right things, we become grateful for what we have. So what does God say about this? Let's make a turn. Let me finish up with this. What does God say? Psalm 97, 12 says this. May all who are godly rejoice in the Lord and praise his holy name. In other words, may all who are godly be full and happy. Rejoicing, We rejoice when we have whatever we perceive as happiness. But I think God wants something different from us than happiness. Or wants something different for us than happiness. There's something better. So what, what is that? Well, there could be a, a huge list of things that God could say that are better than pursuing those things of the world and trying to make ourselves happy. You know, that is what we do. We try to fill this hole. We feel empty. We don't feel at peace. We feel like something's wrong. And we try to fill it with something. We'll fill it with you know, activities. We'll fill it with movies. We'll fill it with TV. We'll fill it with food. We'll fill it with alcohol or drugs. We'll fill it with anything. We'll fill it with pornography. We'll fill it with 
relationships with people. We'll go out every single night until we can't even stay awake and so we can fall asleep not thinking about what we're missing until the next day we do it all again we can throw ourselves in our jobs and if i can keep moving up the ladder then i'll get there and i'll feel whole and complete and like life makes sense and i'm okay never works so what does god say i think he wants something more for us i just want to share what i think these some of these things are number one god wants you not to be happy but to be blessed the word blessed literally comes from the Greek word, <clears throat> excuse me, markarios, which means supremely blessed, more than happy. Truth is, to be blessed, you don't get everything you want. Right? Parents, do your kids get everything they want? Would they be happy if they got everything they wanted? Maybe for a moment, right? For a moment. It's the acquisition. I got it. But how quickly does it pass? How quickly, you know, we, we learned early on that McDonald's Happy Meals are one of the worst things on the planet. I, and some of you who are health nuts, obviously I'm not, but some of you who are, you already knew that. What I'm talking about are the little toys that come in the Happy Meals. Anybody? Whole bins at home full of these little toys. They were fun on the ride home. They often don't even make it out of the car. They've already given up on them. And yet, where do you want to go eat? McDonald's! I get a Happy Meal. You know what toys they got right now? Yeah, but it only lasts five minutes and you don't care anymore. We all have those. Be blessed doesn't mean that you get everything you want. If you want to grow in your faith, you want to grow and just mature, period, accept this idea. Happiness and blessedness does not mean you get everything you want. Here's the thing. You already know this. But there's a little something in us that tells us to ignore that. Like it's not true. I just have that. And then fill in the blank for whatever that is. More money, more this, more influence, whatever. When we read through the Sermon on the Mount, it puts a smackdown on my idea of what it means to be blessed. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you if you ever considered that the people were seeing on tv reading in the newspapers on magazines in blogs that are being tortured and killed by isis are blessed we would never say that in public how callous and cruel could we be? How disenfranchised could we be from the world to say those Coptic Christians that were lined up on the beach and killed were blessed? The world can't, they can't comprehend that. 
The world can't fathom that. I doubt any of those or any other victims were happy at the moment. But yet they were blessed. See, one of the reasons is because we have become so short-sighted as a people that we think about our next thing, not the thing way down the line. That's how we purchase. We purchase on what's the thing right now. We don't think about what does purchasing this mean for us down the line. I didn't think about that when we bought the rodeo and I lived in Dallas, Fort Worth, where there's worse traffic than anywhere else on the planet to drive a five-speed four-cylinder SUV. Think about that. We are short-sighted in the way we raise our kids because we want to pacify them rather than think about what is best for them as they're growing. Some of the lessons we try to teach our kids about what life will be like as they grow, they hate those lessons. But I know what's coming because I've been there. Just as God knows what's coming in our lives, even if others have been there, he knows what's coming. And he may be the one who put it there. It's amazing when we begin to understand that. When we often think about what does it mean to be blessed or happy, we bring up some extreme examples. What about someone who has cerebral palsy or Down syndrome? Deidre works with kids like that all the time. She sees the challenges that these kids have. And people will write off God because children like that exist. Adults like that exist. How could a loving God let that happen? And yet we are short-sighted because we think everything of value happens while these lungs are breathing and this heart is beating. And yet God says, hey, this, this is nothing compared to what is, is in store. Scripture says those who were last will be first. The meek shall inherit the world. Uh, what if, what if those who struggle the greatest in the earth are exalted the most for all eternity in heaven. Would it change our understanding? Man, God, he works so differently than we do. So how do we adjust our pursuit of happiness to his? We understand God wants us to be blessed. I don't think that's the only thing God wants. I think as we move deeper, God wants you to be at peace. Because isn't there something in all of us... We just want to be at peace, like everything's okay. Sometimes when everything is okay, we don't think about this, but when things are not okay, what we are hungering for is stability and peace. Let just let everything be okay. Isaiah 26, 3, it says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Not only does God want you to be at peace, God wants you to be whole because that goes right along with peace. James 1, one of my favorite places in Scripture says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now understand, every time that Scripture uses the word perfect... And talking about us and what we can become is not without fault or failure. Not without sin. That is not possible for us. Every time perfect is used in scripture, it's talking about wholeness. 
completeness. And what God is saying is, even when you are unhappy, you will be whole and at peace. Because in order to follow God or to take a breath in this world, you are going to, at times, go through hard things. If your idea of happiness is the lack of hard things, you're going to be frustrated your entire life. I think about the number of people today that just won't try for stuff anymore. We were talking over the, this past week about it just seems to be a kind of a national epidemic, this I just don't want to try because I don't want to fail. And, and instead of celebrating those who go against all odds and win, we celebrate those who don't even try anymore. We just want to feel bad. Instead of talking about what God has done, we talk about how hard I have it. We go through Facebook. I, 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 gotta, I, I, literally have, I, I literally almost shut down my Facebook account. You know? Of course, when a pastor says, I literally almost, you know it means absolutely nothing. But, but I literally almost shut down my Facebook account because I, my whole feed, it seemed like, was, oh, my word, look how hard I have it. That's inspiring, isn't it? Makes you feel good. I like can go out and conquer the day. Oh, it's so bad. And the ones that, that drive me the craziest are the passive-aggressive ones. Oh, if you only knew what you had and you lost, and now you'll never have it. Hey, no, they're not reading that. Nobody's reading that, but people are going, what are you talking about? We celebrate the things that are fractured, no longer the things that are whole. Is there any reason, is there any wonder that we're struggling as a society with depression, and sadness, giving up, suicide on the rise? Is there any wonder Because when we celebrate brokenness, as in brokenness is the goal, there's no gospel in that. Because the gospel is about taking the brokenness and making it whole. That's where inspiration and hope is. God wants you to be whole. All these things, this testing, this hardship produces steadfastness, steadfastness, it produces a wholeness within you. So maybe the things you're going through that are hard right now are actually being used to weave together what you're becoming in Christ. Not trying to convince you that God doesn't love you anymore. He loves you so much, he's weaving you into something better, stronger, more wonderful. God wants you to be whole. Max Licato said this, you aren't made for earth. Moments of happiness and joy cannot compare to what's ahead. Lower your expectations of earth, not heaven. No new car, new wife, new baby, new boat will give you the joy your heart craves. This is reserved for what God can do in your life. Let me just repeat in closing Psalm ninety-seven, twelve: May all who are godly rejoice in the Lord and praise His holy name. So it may just be that God doesn't want us to be happy. It may be that God wants something more. God wants us to be whole, to be at peace, to be blessed. It may be that the things that 
you believe or because of your faults and your failures that you're experiencing in life, God may actually have put those there because that is the path by which he's going to put you back together. If our desire is not in the pursuit of God, then we are wholeheartedly going to fail at ever feeling joy and happiness. Pursuit of God is everything that there is. As a pastor, one of the things that I've learned, and I've pastored very different churches. Journey is the most different church of anything I've ever done before. And yet one of the things that we have learned, and Scott and I talk about this all the time, it is so frustrating to have someone asking for help, not willing to take the steps to actually get the help. It's so frustrating to invest in someone who isn't really pursuing the things that can lead them to the health that they want. The truth is that no matter what Bruce Jenner does, or he's a professing Christian and a professing Republican, how crazy is that, you know? No matter how many Bible studies he goes to, it's not going to make him feel more whole as a woman. No matter how many sermons he listens to, it's not going to make him feel more whole as a woman. Doesn't matter how much Bible he reads, it won't make him feel more whole as a woman. Some of you are going, yeah, preach it. Make him feel whole as a man. Well, what if that's not the point either? Now, I'm not going wild crazy on you here. But what if the wholeness that God wants to build in us supersedes all of the ways we define ourselves? What if that wholeness is so much bigger than all those things? What can help Bruce find wholeness is a pursuit of God. Not the pursuit of activities, not the pursuit of Bible studies, the pursuit of God himself, because that is where wholeness comes. When I'm feeling broken, if I'm pursuing God, he can bring me back to wholeness. If you're feeling broken, disappointed, discouraged, the pursuit of God will bring you back. And more times than not, there are all kinds of times God leads you to a place of despair. And those are your opportunities to learn new depths of trusting him. But more times than not, when I begin to refocus my attention on the things that matter, my heart begins to change instead of want, gratitude. I'm human. That gratitude doesn't stay there forever. It at times goes away and the want comes back. I have to refocus on God. Gratitude comes back. My point being, can't do it perfect. But when we are pursuing God, he makes all these hungers, these desires, he just makes them go away and we can be filled with his presence. So it may be God doesn't want you to be happy. Think on that. Maybe God wants something more for you. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I, I struggle to put into words what it really looks like to truly be happy, to truly be blessed, what it looks like to have everything together and not feel broken. God, you have done the supernatural from the very beginning your spirit it it works in us in ways that we can't comprehend but we know that it's there 
God, I pray that for those in the room that are struggling and they feel not only unhappy, they feel downright miserable. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself in a way that maybe they've not seen. They can trust you, that they can put their hope in you, that they can pursue the things that you say are valuable and worthwhile, not just the things that feel good to us. Pray that you give them new hope. Pray that if we are going to feed a wolf, we do feed the wolf of hope and light. We would focus our thoughts and our attention on the things that are, are worthy to be focused on, the worthy to be thought of. Father, I pray for those that right now they're, they're, they are on a level of happiness that they are content with. Things are good. Things are okay. But they're missing the bigger thing that you want to do in their life. Father, I pray that you would disrupt that happiness in just the way that will lead them to what is deeper, what is better. To that blessing, to that hope, to that peace, to that wholeness comes in knowing you. Father, for those that are are deep in their faith and they have spent many, many hours on their knees in prayer, searching through Scripture, searching for you, and yet still feel like they're failing. God, I pray for those in this room that have made you the driving focus of their lives. And yet they still struggle with feeling happy or content or blessed or whole. I pray that you would break through whatever is is standing in the way. And while their circumstances may not change, the way they respond to them will. And while their hardships may not go away, their gratefulness for what you've done and what you were doing in other parts of their lives will begin to take over their thoughts. God, I pray that we would be a people that model not what it looks like to pursue happiness, but to be so much more. I thank you for Jesus, because it's only through him that that's possible. I ask all this in his name.